0: Today on Blue 58, Kevin King is back with the Packers. It's fair to ask why, and while we'll try to provide some answers, there may not be many to be found. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. happy to be with you here for another episode. Late last week, sometime over the weekend, we got a Discord question from regular contributor Real Talk Ryan. Ryan asked, a lot of the popular Green Bay podcasters have talked about adding a cornerback in free agency. What do you think the likelihood is this happens? You think Kevin King being brought back is still in play? Will they draft the eventual cornerback number two? Is Josh Jackson or Kadar Holman going to be that guy? Sorry for the question overload. Well, since then, things have changed a little bit. I initially responded to Ryan saying I was excited to dig into that question because with the Packers being relatively quiet in free agency so far, other than handling some of their own. There was not a lot of movement on the Packers front as far as adding another cornerback. But now they have re-signed Kevin King. And there is a lot to unpack here. A lot of it pertaining to Ryan's question. So using that as a springboard, let's talk a little bit about where the Packers are as far as their number two cornerback behind Jair Alexander. First, Kevin King is back. It's a reported one-year, $6 million deal. I say reported because there is almost no chance it is going to be one year and $6 million for Kevin King. There are going to be incentives. There are going to be roster bonuses. There are going to be uh, all sorts of things that make the actual number much, much less here. I would be surprised if it's more than $3 million, if it's if it is more than $3 million, as a starting point, it's not going to be a lot more. So rest your mind on that a little bit. It's not $6 million for Kevin King. Second, they can still make some moves. Every day that goes by, the veteran cornerback market gets cheaper. There are names out there, and look, it doesn't even really pay to go into it because clearly we don't have any idea what the Packers are thinking. But there are guys still out there. The market is developing and changing, and the prices only go down the more time passes. Third, re-signing Kevin King doesn't preclude the Packers from drafting a cornerback. I still expect them to. I think one of their first two picks in this this spring's draft is going to be a corner. If I had to guess right now, I would say it's going to be their first-round pick, but you never really know with Brian Gutekunst, as as we have seen by today's events. But as to this specific move, was it a good one? Does it make the Packers better? They needed a cornerback opposite of Jair Alexander. Did they take steps towards getting one today? Broadly answering all those questions, I would say not really. It's kind of weird to me that you go through all the trouble of creating this cap space, restructuring Preston Smith, letting Corey Lindsley walk, redoing everybody's contract other than the big ones, really, so far. Then you dump a good chunk of it, even if it is a small chunk, a significant chunk, because every dollar really counts for the Packers this offseason. You dump it on Kevin King. So how would you spin this if you are the Packers? If you think this is a good move, which they apparently did because they went through with it, how would you spin it? I would say, first, it's going to be cheap. He's not going to be one of your $6 million player. It's going to be less than that. Second, you're billing Kevin King as a starting-caliber NFL corner. He may not be a starting-caliber NFL corner. In fact, I'm pretty confident in saying, based on his performance over four years, if Kevin King is starting for you at corner, your secondary leaves something to be desired. But at the very end, or very least, you probably got a low-end starter. Or that's how you could spin it. You can get by with him maybe as your third or fourth corner, and maybe that's what the Packers are looking to do here. But if you're spinning it, you're going to say we've got a, a starting caliber NFL corner. Finally, I don't really know exactly how this factors in, but it does factor in. He is well-liked in the building. People like Kevin King for whatever reason. Even if it's not necessarily for what he does on the field, people like him, and that counts for something. It's not nothing. I don't know exactly what it counts for, but it's more than nothing. It's hard to not factor that in. Everybody, you look at the reactions from the players on on Twitter, they are happy that Kevin King is back. Maybe that's why they are players and not general managers, sure. But they are all happy to have him around. Why? Don't know. That's for them to know and us to just speculate about. But they like having him around. Does that make him a good locker room guy, a glue guy? I don't know. Personally, I have mixed feelings about it. I think I have been more inclined to defend Kevin King than most just because of the circumstances in which he was drafted. The Kevin King-T.J. Watt debate has always hinged on a few things that have bothered me a little bit. First, the entire furor over him would be much lower if his name was something like Ryan Davis and he played at Northwest Montana A&M Tech, something like that. If you didn't know he was J.J. Watt's brother, if he wasn't from Wisconsin, there wouldn't have been the attraction there. That's just a fact. But secondly, there's always been more going on there when the Packers drafted Kevin King than just King versus T.J. Watt. There was upgrading the secondary versus upgrading the edge rushers. They, already, they still had Clay Matthews. They still had Nick Perry. The edge wasn't as big a problem as the secondary was because they had just gotten torched by the Falcons in the playoffs. Kevin King was a step towards that, and looking at a six-foot, three-inch prospect with athleticism to burn and pretty decent ball skills, you can see what made that attractive, but a lot of people just disliked him, and many dislike him to this day just because he's not T.J. Watt, and there is something to that. T.J. Watt has turned out to be a much, much better player than Kevin King is, and that's fair, but just hating him because he's not T.J. Watt is not really a good argument, We should want Kevin T- King to succeed. I want him to succeed. That doesn't mean I think this is a good move. I don't think it is. I think they were, throw a dart, you could probably find a better corner than Kevin King in free agency. Just spin a wheel. But I think there are right ways and wrong ways to criticize it. And just not liking him because he's Kevin King is, is not one of the right ways. So the Packers made a move here. It's not a move I particularly like. It's not a move that a lot of people like. But it doesn't end here either. They can still sign more free agents. They can still create more cap space, and they're probably going to draft a corner. But if they go into 2021 with essentially the same, uh, same secondary that they came out of 2020 with, then I think we can be real concerned. So let's stick a pin in this for right now. Let us then continue to our discussion of the Packers' 2020 season game by game. We have arrived at weeks 11, 12, and 13. And this is a a bit of an interesting stretch. It's kind of a tough stretch to talk about because, well, as I look back through my notes, the same phrase kept coming up. The Packers are a finished product. The Packers are a finished product. And as you look back at these games, you can see, yeah, this is pretty much the 2020 Packers at their best and at their most flawed. So week 11, the Packers traveled to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. What happened? In short, I would say the Packers snatched defeat from the jaws of victory a bunch of times in this game. They led 21-7. to They led 28-14. to They had the ball in overtime with a chance to win, and they couldn't do a thing about it. They really couldn't do a thing in the entire second half or overtime. Their drives in that stretch went punt, punt, turnover on downs, field goal, fumble boom. That's how you lose on the road to a pretty good team. You can hang a lot of this game on two extremely high leverage plays. This was it for Darius Shepherd after he fumbled on a kick return, which led to a Colts field goal. And then, of course, Marquez Valdez-Scantling fumbled the game away in overtime. You can also hang it on a bunch of little things, not the least of which was Aaron Rodgers botching a snap from Corey Lindsley in Colts territory on the first drive. Uh, The Colts fumbled it right back on this next drive, but that was part of the reason the Packers lost. They they didn't get any points on that first drive despite driving pretty well. So did anything emerge from this game that ended up being a sort of long-term storyline or concern? I don't know if this is a long-term storyline here, but going into this game, I predicted the Packers were going to lose. But this was a somewhat funny case of being right for the wrong reasons. I said the Colts were going to lose because the Packers haven't shown that they can beat a defense like the Colts. Fast, physical, strong up front. The Packers have also not shown, this was my case at the time, that they could force an offense like the Colts to make mistakes. Ball control, kind of conservative, working the ball down the field a lot like the Saints but in this game, the Colts really didn't win so much as the Packers lost. The Colts' D really didn't shut down the Packers. Aaron Rodgers got things done. Aaron Jones had a reasonably productive game that the Packers did get away from the run a little bit. And the Colts' offense really didn't do much other than just take advantage of the Packers' mistakes. It wasn't that the Packers lost to the kind of team that they lose to a lot in the Lafleur era. It's just that they had lost because they didn't play very well. What then did we forget about this game? Well, Kenny Clark picked up his very first sack of the season all the way in week 11. This game was also, according to Packers history, the 19th time in his career that Aaron Rodgers threw three or more touchdowns in a game that the Packers lost. Three of those 19 came against the Indianapolis Colts. Strange but true. In this game, the defense also got their hands on the ball a ton. Ten passes defense, no interceptions, and that is a big miss if you are playing against Philip Rivers. Also had a weird stretch of penalties in this game. The Colts' last drive in regulation featured eight penalties at one point in a nine-play span. That is wild. Some on both teams, there, so it wasn't entirely the Colts' fault. But at one point, they had two holding penalties on one play. That is incredible. Not like... The rarest thing in the world. I think I've seen it happen like three times, but that's it's like that joke expression, you know. If I had a nickel for every time I've seen that happen, I'd have three nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened more than once. Anyway, the Colts beat the Packers in Indianapolis, and the Packers head home to take on the Bears. But before we get to Week Twelve, I want to take a second and give a shout out to three patrons today. Today we're shouting out Mike Schroeder or Schrader depending on what part of the country you are from or just your family preferences, Adam Sunday and Damian Kelly. I've happened to get gotten to know Damian a little bit over the years and uh, appreciate everybody that we get to interact with. Um, that's just one of the the great side effects of of being a patron. We get a little bit more face-to-face interaction. And if you would like to be part of that, there are some upsides for you too. You get access to our private Discord server. You get some bonus content and you get to help us keep this show and our website ad-free, all of which are uh, a great part of helping us keep this entire operation going. So if you would consider doing that, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep, and you'll see how you can get involved. Week 12, the Packers take on the Bears at Lambeau Field. I said at the time that the Packers had a moral obligation to beat the Bears, especially playing them for the first time late in the season as they were. And what happened in this game? Well, the Packers piled up a big lead and just basically held on. Bears came back a little bit, but it didn't matter at all because this game was out of reach. Looking back at this game, nothing really emerged here that was a long-term storyline at all. If there is such a thing as a get-healthy game, I think both of the Packers' games against the Bears this year qualified as stay-healthy games. Bears were already in a bit of a tailspin at this point. Sure, you could talk yourself into them being, you know, strong on defense, which they were. They have some really nice pieces on defense, and still do. You could talk about them, you know, playing the Packers tough, whatever sort of talk radio talk you want to do about that sort of game. But really, the Packers were supposed to win this game, and really, the the only big question was whether or not they would get out of it staying relatively healthy, and they did, except for one thing. What's something we forgot about this game? Well, Corey Lindsley got hurt. Elton Jenkins stepped in at center. 21 snaps at left guard, 50 at center. Great if you can get a guy who can do that. This is also the first game this season where Marquez Valdez-Scantling did not have a target. This following a rough outing against the Colts, only two catches on his five targets, one of which he fumbled away. He follows that up with no targets at all. Alan Lazard was also in the process of working his way back to full strength. He debuted, re-debuted against the Colts, uh, got back involved a little bit more against the Bears, and maybe as a result, uh, MVS's star was in decline there for a little bit. But I think it is worth pointing out that at least in this game, uh, he was not a big part of the offense, not really a part of the offense at all. Finally, Week 13, the Packers take on the Eagles. I would describe this as a little bit of a big brother game. I don't know how many of you, whether or not you have a younger sibling that you've ever played sports again against. But growing up for me playing against my younger brother, sometimes we would play basketball one-on-one. And until he got to a certain age, it was a foregone conclusion that I was going to win every time. You know you're going to win. So maybe you don't come out super sharp, but you're going to win. You're going to win. Maybe you coast a little bit too much. Maybe the game tightens up a little bit. Maybe he gets a couple on you that he shouldn't, but you know you're going to win, so ah, so what? The Packers in this game built a 20-3 to lead and coasted a little bit. Coasted maybe a little bit too much. They got up 23-3 to in the second half, and in comes Jalen Hurts. 32-yard touchdown pass. Packers go 3-and-out, then a 77-yard punt return on the ensuing punt. Packers go 3-and-out. Suddenly, things have tightened up. Very shortly, it is 23 to 23-16. The Eagles have the ball, and they are driving to tie the ball game in the fourth quarter. But then, Zedaria Smith and Preston Smith team up for a sack. The Eagles punt. Second player, the next drive, Aaron Jones rips off a 77-yard touchdown run. And that is all she wrote. So did anything emerge from this game that ended up being a long-term story? Well, we shouldn't forget that this was Carson Wentz's last start for the Philadelphia Eagles. Not so much Packers storyline, but a big NFL storyline nonetheless. And it is always interesting, I think, when you get to be part of... History probably makes it sound a little bit more dramatic than it actually is, but it is part of history here. The Eagles... Drafted Carson Wentz in the first rounds. He was a big part of their Super Bowl run in 2017. And now he's gone. And the last time he got action as a starter was against the Green Bay Packers on the road in the snow. And what a striking game it was. Don't even want to talk stats in this, but the stats were abysmal for Carson Wentz in that particular game. But I've seen the phrase, Carson Wentz is a broken quarterback thrown around a lot online. Sounds like hyperbole to me. But watching him play in this game, boy, it was hard to come to any other conclusion. It's like he just forgot what he was good at, forgot how to do the basic things. Sports psychology, every so often they talk about something called the yips. You see that come up? Just guys who forget about how to do the things that they're supposed to be good at, how they've done things that they've done for a living. A catcher can't throw the ball back to the pitcher anymore. Guy just stops being able to make free throws. You know it. You've seen this sort of thing. Guy stops being able to throw a certain route. I wonder if that kind of thing actually happened to Aaron Rodgers there for a little bit in 2015 to 2017, 2018 or so. Just stopped seeing things the same sort of way. Stop processing things exactly the same way. I don't know. But you could see that in the giant screaming red letters with Carson Wentz. Just could not see it, couldn't do it. And it's always kind of sad to see. I think whatever you think about Carson Wentz, uh, that is it, it's hard uh, to watch that play out. Nice for the Packers, though, in, in that particular game. Also, this uh, another thing that emerged from this game was Mason Crosby – Missed his second PAT of the year. Uh, this seemed to be a holder issue because it looked like he was kicking laces here. Uh, but it it's part of the ongoing problems at this point of the season with the with the Packers special teams. Also in this game, they gave up that punt return for touchdown. Just I'm glad they're going in a different direction here because Mori Strayton is going to have to figure out a way to get the Packers a little bit more focused on the details because the details burned the Packers a couple times down the stretch in 2020. What did we forget about this game? Well, one thing I would like to draw your attention to, explosive plays. A couple funny ones here. Not funny so much as like humorous, but funny just kind of strange. Alan Lazard had his first explosive play uh, since his breakout game against the Saints uh, as he continued to work his way back towards full strength. And also, Mercedes Lewis had an explosive play. A 36-yard catch for the ancient one, Mercedes Lewis. Always nice to to point out a couple interesting statistical nuggets like that. So that's weeks 11, 12, and 13. Next week, we are going to get nearly to the end of the regular season as we get through weeks 14, 15, and 16. And then it'll be... Uh, The final week of the regular season and then two games in the playoffs. But in the short term, you can look forward to hearing about the Detroit Lions, the Carolina Panthers, and one of the most fun wins of the season, the Packers beat down in the snow of the Tennessee Titans. But that is for another day because that is all I have for you on this particular episode If you have thoughts about this episode, if you want to reach out to the show, I'd encourage you to do that. Let us know what you think about the Kevin King signing. Maybe we will share some listener perspectives on the next episode. Uh, Speaking of episodes, if you enjoyed this one, I would appreciate it a lot if you would go ahead and share it with someone else you think would enjoy it too. That's how we're going to continue to grow this show and help uh, get more people involved in this ongoing wonderful discussion we're having about our favorite team, the Green Bay Packers. Doing that is what's ultimately going to help all of us, including me, become smarter Packers fans, which is great because, as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.